before the sun is actually going to rise, so we sort of didn't get our timing right. But we got out of the car, it was pitch black, we headed up some entrance that we believed to be the entrance to this mountain, it looked like a farmer's uh, track to me, but anyway we proceeded with somewhat of a half-charged torch, so we didn't want to use it in case it ran out too soon. Uh, and you know, we made our way up this mountain, it was foggy, there were sheep jumping out of places, and we had no idea exactly where the mountain was, and when we got to the top, and when the sun eventually did come up, there was no sunrise. In fact, we haven't seen the sun since. It was bright, but there was no sun. It was foggy. And we were cold. We were tired. Halfway up, they, they wanted to give up. And me being the, the type of man that I am, a real fitness freak, I said, no, we, we have to press on. I was more embarrassed about telling people that we never made the top of Hen Mountain. Now, Hen Mountain, if you're familiar, is not Sleeve Donard, it's beside it. I see Ken knows what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's a mountain, is it Ken? It's, it's, you could call it a mountain. No, well, it's a mountain. It's a mountain to us. <laughs> it's, it's the entrance to a mountain, perhaps, but uh, to us it was certainly a mountain. And, uh, but what's the point in saying that? Well, you know, life can be like that, can't it? We, we don't really know sometimes where we're going. Sometimes some days are brighter than others. The journey never always is what we think it's going to be. And when we get to the place we think we want to be, it's, it's almost certainly never what we thought it would be. The sun doesn't rise necessarily when we expect it to. But out of that, we were together. We had family time. We, we had lots of photographs and great memories. We, we struggled back into Newcastle. We met a friend who's, who, who's met her, her husband-to-be. They're getting married next Saturday. We, we had lunch and we prayed into their life. And, do you know, we didn't get exactly what we expected, but we were blessed yesterday. Why am I using that illustration? Because, listen, life will not turn out how you expect it. Your journeys will not be all that you want them to be, and even the greatest moments mightn't be that great. But God will always be sufficient for us, church. And that's just a simple illustration of a life experience yesterday. And that's what I want us to consider this morning, the sufficiency of God in our life. I'm saying our life because it's, it's all of us need to get this into our hearts. And in this psalm, David speaks of the Lord's sufficiency in his life. We know that David was the king of Israel. He had a lot of authority, a lot of weight on his shoulders. He was a king, but, but from a boy until he passed away, one thing that we can see, and we speak in David regularly, is that the Lord provided for him. And we can see that in David's life, but I perhaps expect that you don't see that in your own life. But God's faithful. And David, like us all, had many struggles in life, you know. It wasn't simple, uh, it wasn't plain sailing for this man of God. He wrestled with sin as you and I wrestle with it. He faced rejection as, as we do. He faced hatred. We see that in King Saul, the man who was meant to nurture him and turned against him and tried to turn others. And we are at times hated as well, perhaps for no reason. David hid himself away for months or years at a time. Do you ever feel like doing that? No? Nobody wants to admit it? There's no time I wouldn't mind digging a hole and getting into it only to get hungry too quick. David, for sometimes years, had to disappear. Many times... Death was at his door, literally. His enemies surrounded his camp many times. We see that in scripture. But God looked after him. It's something that we find hard to realize and grasp. And church, I want to say this to us all this morning. Every emotion and every weakness that you and I have, David too experienced in his life. He was a man. He was human, like you and I. And, and as he looked over his life, David recognized the Lord's sufficiency. And I, I pray that we leave here today looking back and recognizing the Lord's efficiency, even to now, 
Even though we have desires to do greater things for God in our life as a church and our families, but even just realizing to this point hasn't even been good. I don't know how long your testimony is. Mine's 17 years. I think I've been saying that this last five years. Maybe it's 20. It's 17 years, I'm nearly sure. But he's been good. And think of that. Hasn't he kept us to this point well? Has it all been... Did the sun always rise? No. Did the path turn out the path that we thought? Absolutely not. Did we have blessing along the way? Yes, we did. We had blessing along the way. And we're, we're, only, we're only still journeying, folks. He's faithful. And David recognized this. When things got tough, God would lead him by the hand and attend to his needs. And we often see the signs on the road. You, you must be born again or stuff about hell and, and these different verses. And I remember reading this one, van, or one, one sign. It was from Isaiah. And I haven't got it written down, but it spoke of how God says, I, I'll take you by the hand and I will lead you if you'll trust me. And I thought, how lovely. How lovely to the person who's broken today. How person is the person who doesn't know God and, and they're lost of no direction and their life's falling apart and they see this sign that you're going to hell and it just says, it just adds to them. But then they see this wee sign, if you will trust me, I will take you and I'll lead you by the hand. And that's the God that we serve here this morning. That's the God that, uh, that David served. And we too this morning are to recognize the Lord's sufficiency in our life. With, with every battle that we each will face in life, God will take us by the hand and lead us. Now, David at times was unsure, unsure of the way ahead. We've all been there. We don't know what way to turn. And we all experience that. And we will experience that in life when, when things come our way. And we just, they're out of our control. And we just don't, don't know what way to turn. But God guided David. And he also gave him the strength that he needed in that. And that's important. And what, what I get from this and what I'm presenting to you is that we too can be sure that God will guide his people. We can be sure of this. That he'll lead us in the many different paths that life comes, brings our way. He strengthens the weary soul. And, and, and you need to hear this this morning again and apply it. The people of God, you and I this morning in Christ, we are to recognize, as we look at these few scriptures this morning, the sufficiency of God in your life this far. Can you say amen if that's a true statement? This far, the sufficiency of God in our life. It hasn't been the wee journey that we, that we wanted it to be, perhaps. But boy, what a journey. We've only started. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter, Paul, or chapter, chapter, Paul, chapter 12, I want to just highlight something this morning. It speaks about Paul, and Paul speaks about a thorn that he has in his flesh. We know from reading the text that, that, that God allowed a messenger of Satan to torment him. There's many books written on what this thorn is. We don't really know, but we see that there was a, there was a messenger of Satan put his way, something to, to, to just to stop him from going too far ahead. And the reason is being, the reason being is that, that God wanted to keep Paul humble in the need of the Lord. Paul, you see, received great revelation from God. The scriptures tells us this. He didn't just he didn't journey like we journey. He, he received great revelation. The presence of God was was heavy upon him. He didn't he didn't write so many books in the New Testament because he just was a good author. He was he knew revelation from God. And, and had God not allowed this thorn in Paul's life, you know what would happen? Paul would have become proud in himself. He would have become boastful. He'd become of no use to the work of the ministry. And we know that Paul pleaded with God three times for this, this burden, this thorn to be removed. And God wouldn't permit it. And you know, that's a truth in following God too. There's thing, certain things in our life that are there. 
There's certain things that we're going to have to carry on with. And God's going to give us enough. His sufficiency. He's, got, he's sufficient enough to bring us through it. But God will not permit it. But what he did say to, to Paul was this, and we know this. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. There is that word sufficient. Paul, you might feel like you are struggling with what's going on in your life. But I want you to know here and now that I'm sufficient. I'm all you will need in your life. And we often wonder why we aren't stronger in our faith. And the reason is that in our weakness, we're told that God can use us in his kingdom. You, you, you imagine a room full of people here that, that we were so proud of ourselves and so strong in our self-righteousness and, and how good that we are. How could God ever use us as a witness in this land? It would be enough to make the people outside vomit, I would imagine. A room full of proud men and women. But here, you get a room full of broken, ordinary men and women from all areas of life who know hardship, but greater than that, know the sufficiency of the Lord in their life. What a testimony to the saving and keeping power of God. In our weakness, God can use us. When we feel strong and independent dependent in our life, I realize when I feel like this, I don't need God as much. But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for Paul. It's sufficient for you. It's sufficient for me. Now listen to the words in, in our psalm this morning. Verse 25 and 26. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked man, or woman if you like, you show yourself to be shrewd. God's not caught out by our shrewdness, by our pretense. But what I see here is, is a picture of, of the believer's spirit and the spirit of God gelling together as one. The believer who is pure in spirit will be in unity and at peace with God. Think of that. Unfaithfulness in our life can take away that peace that we have with God. It, it, it's not a healthy thing to have in our hearts, unfaithfulness. And I suppose the question I ask myself and you ask yourself too is, are you at peace with God today? Remember what he says to the faithful, he will prove himself to be faithful. He is a faithful and he's a just God. And if we confess our sins, he, he is able to forgive us on what restore us. Because that's the God we serve. He doesn't hold grudges like you and I do. We, we, we don't, we don't, he doesn't get caught up on our unfaithfulness. He gets caught up in the potential that each of us have in him. Why? Because he knows that you're not sufficient, but he is in your life. And, and that's a truth that it sets me free, knowing that he doesn't rely on me to get up in the morning and provide and, and do well for him. He's sufficient. And he's able, if we would confess our sins, to restore. But in verses 25 and 26, there's a principle at work in these verses. I've never seen it before. It was another commentator highlighted it for me, but I want to just tap into it. And according to verses 25 and 26, this commentator would say that God acts towards men as they act towards God and others. And I don't know what you felt about that, but I was a wee bit afraid about that one. So how we treat others, God would treat us. What a thought. Then I thought of that verse. And it's, it's, it's a spiritual lessons of, of the harvest. What we sow is what we reap. Isn't that right? If we, 
If we sow carrot seeds, we don't get cabbages, I don't think. It's it's the same thing. What we sow in life, we receive back. But in Galatians chapter 6, the subject title of this specific chapter is Carrying One Another's Burdens. It's a a major theme throughout Scripture. We've looked at it in, in, in previous weeks, how we need each other. The reason we're launching our midweeks is that we can involve each other. And we go past just sitting just praying, but actually get talking and fellowship and praying together. We, we need each other. We need to carry one another's burdens. And it says this, do not be deceived. Speaking to the church. For God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. But in verse 9, he, he goes on to say this. And here we see the reward of all who choose to sow spiritually, to sow to the spirit. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good. That's what he says. Don't be mocked. Don't think God can be mocked by our, by our preconceived ideas. He knows the heart. He knows if we're pure or not. He's shrewd. We can't deceive. And he said, listen, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time we will re- reap a harvest if we don't grow weary. So sow into the spirit and not allowing our fleshly side to lead is difficult at times, isn't it? We all struggle with it. I struggle with it. There's a a part of me that I hate. There's a part of me that I fight. It's ungodly. It it wants to act as the world acts. It wants to deal with others as the world deals with others. No mercy, no grace, no love. But but I try to suppress it as we do. Why? Because God's sufficient in our lives to cause us to do such a thing. It's not a natural thing. The natural thing is just to to kick back. So under the spirit, it's not easy. So unto the flesh, it never produces a godly harvest. So what we sow, we also reap. And how we deal with others, God deals with us. To the pure, you show yourself pure, he said. But to the crooked, you show yourself crooked. One comment here says this, Men cannot complain how God deals with them, for he simply reflects their own conduct. This really caused me to be awake. Is it with you? how we deal with the world around us. God says, well, if that's the way you want to treat others and the world around you, I'm going to let you experience it a wee bit in your life. Imagine. Let us sow spiritually and reap a godly harvest. But in verse 27, David says something very encouraging. It's for you save an afflicted people, but the humble, those with haughty eyes, but you humble those with with haughty eyes or proud look. And here's a wonderful promise to the people of God, all who are afflicted this morning. There's a promise that God was going to deliver them. It's another promise of his, that he's sufficient, that he will save them. And then I thought of, of Psalm 34, 9, and we know this, but do we really apply it for many are the afflictions of the righteous? Many. But the Lord delivers them out of not some, but them all, he says. The Lord is sufficient in our life's church. And God is involved in our personal affairs. Imagine a holy God that created the sunrise, which we didn't see, is interested in you and me. Imagine. The reason we struggle with such truth is because we don't think too well of ourselves, let alone to think a holy, almighty creator of the universe, of this earth, of, of every living, breathing animal in this earth. He created and he created you and I and he cursed for us. It's hard to take in, but it's true according to the scriptures. And he blesses the way of the godly. He causes them to prosper. 
the righteous have the favour of God upon them. Why? Because Christ says, I'm sufficient for your life. I love it. Sufficient. Even in the midst of great afflictions, God remains close to his people. We are to recognise sufficiency in our life. He's sufficient. And David recognised this in his own life. Every struggle we ever face, God's sufficient to bring us to the other side. He gave to David all he ever needed to end well, to live well. And he'll do the same for you and I today. But what is it I want to ask exactly did God give to David? That's, that's the meat, isn't it? What is it that is available? No, what is it that we've already received? Do you ever be given a present, but perhaps you have never opened it? I've never done that. Always opened it. But imagine you have, and it's sitting on your shelf. You've been given something rich. You don't know what it is because you've never opened it. You've never understood what's in your hands. What did God give to David that he's given to us as well? I see three things, and they're very quickly going to highlight them. The first thing I see is that God gave David a holy fire. Look at verse 28. You, Lord, light my lamp. And you keep my lamp burning. It's the will of God for his people to enjoy him and serve him. And God wants the world to see his goodness through our lives. The fire we have for God is a gift from God. I say amen to that. The fire that you and I have is a gift from God. And only for him we would be as cold as ice. Only for him we'd have no desire for the things of God. We'd be cold, we'd be indifferent when it comes to the things of the Spirit as the rest of the world is. Christian, if you feel your light is fading or about to go out this morning, you need to hear this next statement. Your light is shining more than you realise. Within you resides the very Spirit of God, a holy fire that can't be put out. How can I say such a statement? Because it's in the Scriptures in verse 28. You, Lord... Keep my lamp burning. If David had to stand and say what he meant, he'd say, Lord, when I felt I was about to go under, you, Lord, revived me and caused me to burn again for you and the things of God. You kept my lamp burning. His fire is something that is given to the church, the people of God. One commentator says this, the light of the Lord shines brightest when the night is the darkest. I don't know about you, but truth I always find hard to accept. Do you ever notice that? The, the, the lie is always nicer. The thing that's the half truth is easier to swallow. And there's a truth here that I don't like, but it's a truth all the same. And the truth is this, that the light of the Lord shines brightest when the night is darkest. What are we to do when these clouds of darkness overcome our head? One man says we are to hold up our empty lamp before the Lord. We're to say, God, I'm about to go under. I can't see a way forward and I need your help. I thought about this one. Lord, my well is dry. My flame is low and its light is but dim. Holy Spirit, would you fill me once again with that holy oil? Let the fire of God, that holy fire, burn within me yet again for your glory. Church, what about that prayer? God, burn within me again. Burn up the nonsense in this life. Burn up the worldliness that has consumed me. And Lord, let me burn brightly in these days for you. There's a prayer for us, church. James Gray, a commentator, said this. When a believer realizes that his or her lamp has run dry, they are to call unto God. 
and he will fill it with the oil of his Holy Spirit. He goes on to say that he will set it ablaze with divine, now listen, divine revelation from his word. You know, sometimes we say, Lord, would you just fill us, but with no word in us. We say, Lord, would you just touch me, but with no word in us. And then I thought of Psalm 119. Now listen, your word is what? A lamp onto my feet. A light onto my path. This is the burning power, the Holy Ghost power in the life of a Christian. The living word is the food of the believer. And it enlightens us and it enables us to brighten this world up around us. So the first thing I see is that God gave David a holy fire and he gave you a holy fire. The second thing I see that he gave is a vision. We need a vision. And we always quote this in church. Now listen, every believer, young and old, needs a vision of the Lord. There's a darkness, there's a, there's a war on, and there's a deception on. Without vision, we're lost. Every man and woman needs a vision. God gave David a vision. Verse 28 again, you'll see it just in the latter half of it. Listen to the words, my God turns what? My darkness into light. That's vision, isn't it? That's pure vision. When there's darkness in the land, when nobody else can see, God gives his people vision to see a way through. David had vision. And with vision, he conquered Jerusalem church. What did he do? He took out the Jebusites and he brought in the presence of God. Ushered in godliness, chased out ungodliness. With vision, he brought in what? The Ark of the Covenant into the midst of the people. What's that represent? The presence of God. And any godly leader, male or female, if you don't desire the presence of God in your midst, I would question who it is you serve. We all desire the presence of God in our midst. Amen, church, without it, without it, what have we got? What have we got? David had vision. He knew without the presence of God, ungodliness would dwell in the streets. With vision, David made Jerusalem the capital city, a site where, where Solomon's temple later would be built. It was with godly vision that, that David created, listen, for Israel a space to what? Worship and gather together and worship the Lord. This man had vision. Before that, it was a wilderness. It was, it was scattered. Now he's seen the, the importance of the gathered people of God with the presence of God in the midst. So David, as we see, was an empire builder. But listen, he was also a warrior. He was the, he was the boy who took down the giant of the Philistines. The same boy, Saul, made overseer of his army. Why? Because God's favor and sufficiency was upon his life. David was a man who made many mistakes, but God constantly and many times brought him back and restored him. Why? Because God's faithful and he's sufficient in our lives. His own son, Absalom, came against him. He made a grab for the throne. Absalom, for this rebellion, is a picture of sinners today, paid the highest price and he died for his, for his, for his wrongdoing. And we know that David mourned his loss, but with vision he still continued on to trust God. And in his deathbed, what does he do? He pours vision into the son Solomon. He gave him godly direction, how to live for God. He had vision. Never forget that. You have vision. It's of God. It's in you. There's just one who seeks to blind it. David did this and much more, but he never stopped pursuing the things of God. So there, he had holy fire, he had vision, and lastly, he had favor and provision. Look at verse 29. This is very interesting, I thought. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. 
Now, the, the Berean study, study Bible, I think, makes it a bit easier to understand. Let me quote it. For in you I charge an army, and with my God I scale a wall. Now, I personally have never been surrounded by a group of men who want to kill me, unless you include that as a session. Of course, I would never have one in session. But, but that's, I've never had that. But David did. He understood what it was to be surrounded by an army. David, you settle yourself. David understood what it was to be surrounded with men trying to destroy not just him, but his family and his kingdom. And I promise each one of you there's a spirit at work that's trying to destroy you, your family, and your personal kingdom. The Bible makes it very clear. Men were to be priests of our homes. That's what's behind this, trying to get men together. They encourage each other to rise up and to be priests and intercede and lead our family on in the things of God. That's where we're headed. There'll be prayer, there'll be word, there'll be intercessory, we'll be standing up for the things of God. That's where we're going, that's what's needed. And David understood that around him there was a force at work seeking to destroy him. And when you read about David and his army going to battle, it's very easy to leave out all the emotions, isn't it? It's far to leave out the fear of death that was upon these men of war. It's easy to read it as just a story and not history. Isn't it? We just say, oh, that's a lovely story. Read it to our kids. This was real men in real situations. And David many times stood face to face against wicked men who sought to what? Defile the name of God and to kill him. It was in these times that God provided strength and holy boldness to fight against ungodliness. Instead of fear, David could say, listen, for in you I can charge an army. And with my God I can scale a wall. What I see here is that God enabled these men of God to charge against the army, the enemy, sorry. And you know what I see today? Too many are retreating back. The church in many ways today are looking back to the reign of Saul. What's the reign of Saul? Well, the reign of Saul is this. It's a time when, when evil mocked God and the people of God stood there and allowed it. Do you remember that? All the mighty men of, of valor stood there with, with Saul and his poor leadership while, while evil mocked and defiled the name of the Lord. Do you remember who came along? The wee boy. The wee boy who had nothing. The wee boy who wasn't even, Jesse, his father, thought he wasn't even worthy of bringing out to stand before the prophet to see if he possibly could be king. But listen what David did. David at a young age charged Goliath, that loud mouth of abomination. That's what this wee man did. That's what the, the power of Christ in your life can do. You don't need an army around you. You need the Lord around you. You need to know and recognize the sufficiency of the Lord in your life. And you too will charge the loudmouths of abomination in your land and in your world. David charged him. And that mocking voice of both God and the people of God was silenced. Why? Because the favor of God was upon this man. For in you I can charge an army. And he did. And with my God... I can scale a word. In him's a close word, the key word. And I'm going to close a few words with this. I want you to see this, but I personally love it. God's provision, David defended himself against evil. He charged an army. He charged an army. Hope we never have to be in a situation. But I don't know about you, but I think I would get into the wee shock and curling the ball. I haven't got the desire. I don't even get the energy to run charge an army but there's something with the power of God in your life will do great exploits I want you to notice this word with my God I can scale a wall I want you to close I want to close with this thought in God not only can we defend ourselves 
and our homes. We can also attack and stop evil in its tracks. Now listen, when, when David speaks of scaling the wall, what is he talking about, actually? What's he saying to us? Well, he's referring to conquering a city. Jerusalem is a prime example. I don't know if you've ever been, but there's great walls that surround her. And these walls are beautiful. But they're not stood there for our, for our eyes to gaze at and say, wow, beautiful. They stand there as an army to defend her. All who would seek to attack Jerusalem have to come through these walls first. Likewise, in all cities and kingdoms in the ancient world, walls were built around them. We see that with forts to protect them. So what I see here is that this speaks of David being empowered to take down whole cities for God. Church, think of that. One minute. Empowered to take down a whole city for God. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying this to each Christian in my own heart. Let us rise up. Join in with this battle that we've seen in the reign of, of, of David. Right through to the Lord himself came as a mighty warrior and died a wee death. What so you and I could rise up and live. Let us join in and what? Restore godliness. Conquer cities for God. And restore fellowship to our land. Recognize recognizing the sufficiency of God in your life and in my life. I want to quote one commentator and we're finished. And he says, As God's powerful presence sustained David through every peril, the Lord had proven himself to be, of what, be the one and the only God over and over in David's life. We have many gods that we allow in our life, but none will sustain us and, and keep us as the true God. He was the buckler or the shield that, that fended off the blows that the enemy shot. David trusted him, fled to him for refuge and protection. Only God was a rock, a strong fortress that could not be penetrated. He was the only true and living God, the God who answers with fire, holy fire in our instance. He's not an object or a mythical figure like the idols and false gods of the heathen. Rather, he's alive, church. He is personally shows up when we need him loves his people and his people love him. And that's the God that you and I serve. He's alive and he personally shows up when we need him. Beloved people need him and love him. In Christ, church, we have a holy fire. In Christ, we have heavenly vision. Let us rub our eyes. And in Christ, we have favor, which equals to what? Provision. Amen. going to come when we're going to close.